Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career-minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Talbot, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareerMoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to episode 13 of Career Move Secrets. And today's guest is Matt Benyon. Matt has had a near 30-year career in uh, in the construction industry and in professional services. And today he is the chairman of Reds 10. Matt, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, very good. How's, uh, how's life in lockdown for you? Well, it's that curious mix, isn't it? It's... Uh, um, you know, we've we've been through the crisis phase, and everyone wondering what the hell is going to go on um, and what the future is going to look like. Um, it's got to a very busy phase. I think uh, Zoom calls are, are back to back, and uh, uh, the novelty of that is wearing off. But yeah, we're also in that sort of situation where just you can only enjoy the the small things, um, uh, and things I'm enjoying are. Just being with the family, um, that we have a little walk at the end of the end of the day to take our exercise, and you know, to see families walking around and connecting and talking about things that perhaps uh, life as we knew it wouldn't have allowed them to do. I think has been a very special part of this, and uh, it's, it's a very small thing, but it's one of the things that I think we can all enjoy. Yes, there are some upsides, aren't there? Yeah, so and, and maybe we can continue some of those uh, family connections moving forward. Let's hope so. Um, Matt, I obviously know a, a fair bit about you. We, we, we sort of um, interact a little bit over the years, uh, but of course, listeners will not know your background. Could you give us the, the sort of uh, the career history? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I uh, uh, left school uh, and uh, um, chose to do a part-time degree. Um, but but uh, came into the construction industry as a trainee surveyor. Um, very much, you know, back then had really been inspired by my father, who who was a uh, a surveyor as well. And you know, my childhood was spent um, on building sites, um, either you know living on them um, uh, or visiting them with my my father, and just thinking, wow, this is just an amazing thing that people can create these uh, you know, these fascinating buildings. And, um, that led me to, to construction. Um, I worked uh, with a contractor and then on uh, to a, what they called a professional quantity surveyor um, and uh, eventually joined EC Harris um, where I was uh, asked to put together a, a consultancy business um, that was really going to reshape the way that uh, um, EC Harris did its work um, and the, the sort of work that it did for clients. Mm. 
um, I, over time, I was uh, asked to join the board um, and uh, work to uh, implement a new service and, and people agenda and uh, work my way through to being the COO for, for EC Harris's global business. And was part of the business when we decided to sell to Arcadis. Um, and that took me uh, into you know, a, a very significant listed engineering business uh, and was asked to go over to uh, to Asia to integrate the various businesses that Arcadis had bought and finished up as uh, as the, the CEO for the Asia region. Uh, before coming back to the UK and uh, teaming up with uh, Paul Ruddock, my, uh, my partner at, uh, at Redstone. What is uh, Reds 10 then? Um, what does it do and, and what's your role there? Are you the executive chairman or the non-executive chairman? Yeah, executive chairman. So um, Paul uh, set the business up uh, many years ago. He and I have always, in fact, we, we trained together um, way back when in our career, but he and I have always had a passion for challenging the way that things are done. Uh, and... Uh, uh, you know, getting stuck into to making a difference. Uh, Reds 10 is a modular off-site construction business um, with everything that uh, I've seen uh, and learnt. Um, I've long held a view that our industry is broken uh, and that there's an opportunity to, uh, uh, to, to make a difference. Um, but the, perhaps the way that the, the fragmentation of our industry works no one's really ever tried to pull pull everything together. Um, so with Reds 10, with Paul, uh, we're looking to create a new business where you know, we offer what's called space as a service, uh, where we offer a completely integrated uh, solution to, to clients and to provide them with space that helps them be more productive. Uh, we use modular technology to do that quicker. Uh, we vertically integrate the supply chain to make that more efficient. Um, and you know, we focus almost exclusively on providing a fantastic customer experience where perhaps clients don't feel the need to have to go to individual parties to get their projects delivered. And you know, we hope to do our bit to change our industry and make it a little bit more customer focused. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and much needed, I'm sure. So that's, that's the, 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 the sort of venture you're, you're um, in at the moment is that something that is a growing concern even in, in even in these sort of difficult times yeah very much actually i mean we're we're, we're fortunate enough that um before the crisis that the government had, had moved to a presumption that uh its projects should be um, built off-site uh, and embracing modern methods of construction where possible uh, and that tipping point was really, really sort of starting to come home. But I think the crisis has, has, has shown just how powerful it is uh, when you can uh, embrace off-site technology. There are less issues with um, uh, you know, working at close proximity because we work in factory environments. We can control that more. But also the speed at which we can get things done. Uh, and I think you know, we've really seen a, a significant uptick in, in work. And, who knows, frankly, what's around the corner with everything that we've seen in, in the last nine weeks. But um, the, the outlook, I would say, is, is more positive um, um, than, than it has been. And we, you know, we have to count our blessings on that one. Yeah, it's interesting. Isn't it? there's, there's definitely sort of differences um, sector to sector in terms of what the, the economy is doing. But there's, there's differences company to company that I'm noticing where, you know, one business model of a particular business is is 
you know, winning out over another. So, so you see that there is perhaps a, a, an opportunity for growth for you guys. What do you see in the, in the wider construction um, uh, piece? Is there, you know, here in the UK and, and in other parts of the world, do you see this period of lockdown creating a, a gap in the, in the, the sort of, uh, uh, you know, development of projects? I think there's there's no question. Uh, a bit like two thousand and eight, uh, that there will be a shock, uh, mm. and um, yeah, there are other smarter people who will be able to tell us how long that shock might last for. But um, all the mood music seems to be that the government wants to to continue to invest in infrastructure and in social infrastructure, and that their mechanism for uh, coming out of this will be to to put money in that space. Um, and then I think, you know, if I do look back to 2008, um, it, it is the smaller, more agile, more adaptive businesses that that, that, that are able to, to get there. And I think any business that stays close to, to customer uh, and to evolving needs uh, will, will win through. Um, and I think that's, you know, that, that's where the, uh, the, the action is now is, is the, you know, the, the race to stay close to evolving needs and, uh, stay relevant to, uh, to to what whatever unfolds. Mm. And you've obviously operated as a, a a very senior hiring manager for for a very long time now. Um, I, I, my sense is there are lots of people out there worrying about their career. You know, people who maybe are worrying about their job moving forward, or even those who are active in the market at the moment and wondering when they might get back into uh, uh, the role that, that they really want to have. Um, what would be, you know, if you were looking today uh, for your next role, what, what would you do? Well, I've, I've always um, uh, had, a, had a very you know, simple, simple mantra, really, which is, you know, live, you've got to live your passion. Mm. Um, and that's always served me uh, extremely well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of Nelson Mandela, who, you know, I think um, – did some amazing things and you know, one of his very famous quotes was was uh, you know, there is no passion in uh, in, in playing small um, and mm. settling for a life that's less than the one that you're capable of living and I think that that is um, something which I've held true and I think it still stands now actually is that yes there will be uncertainty yes there will be anxiety that relates to that uncertainty but at the end of the day um you have to be in a place where you can get passionate um, and uh, and uh, you can use that passion as your sort of uh, your, your guiding star. So I think um, be clear about what your your cause is, mm. be clear about your purpose, um, you know, look for opportunities and, you know, organisations that genuinely give you a platform where you can have the impact that you're looking to have. Uh, and and don't don't settle for for second best. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I I don't think enough people target businesses that they actually want to work for. You know, this if you're if you're looking in the market now and hoping to find a job vacancy that suits. Number one, that's difficult because the, the, you know that that sort of advertised market is shrinking. Um, we, we hear, I think, the latest figure was a a forty nine percent shrink in um, in online. Uh, jobs uh being advertised so that's that's you know that's got its own problems but then of course you're in a very very competitive situation because you know i think last year there was 250 people that, that uh, per advert that applied on average and i'm sure now there's going to be a lot more um 
I would always argue, you know, rather than sort of being reactive in that way, be a bit more proactive and talk to approach businesses that you really admire and would want to work for. I know because I've approached you in the past with interesting people and, and occasionally got a, 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 you know, a positive response, you know, as a, as a sort of senior hiring manager, I just wondered, you know, how open do you tend to be to good people uh, that are highly relevant, obviously in your industry with a good reputation coming to you and having a conversation about what opportunities might be available for them? Personally, um, again, another belief has been, um, you look for something different in people. I often ask people, what's your story, really? I can see everything that's on your CV, but what's your story? Um, and actually people who come forward um, in a proactive way, who have something about them, well, if you're a business that's going places and you're in that adaptive mindset, uh, then what, why, why wouldn't that work for you? And I think in you know, times like this, Businesses tend to go one of two ways. There's the sort of play it short strategy, which is put everything into lockdown, protect what you've got, uh, measure and monitor the life out of everything. They're probably not the sort of businesses that that approach will, will work with. But there are businesses who will view a crisis like this as an opportunity. I remember back in 2008 with, with E.C. Harris, um, we took a decision to rebrand the organization and position the business as built asset consultancy. Uh, and we saw that as the real accelerator for what we were looking to do. And we went on a, on a, on a very significant hiring spree because we felt that the capabilities that the new world would ask for were very different to the capabilities that we had at the time. Actually, with Reds 10, we've just done something very similar. We're taking the business through repositioning. We're continuing to hire. And it's businesses like those that are perhaps in that more adaptive space uh, who are seeing a bigger picture out there and recognizing that the way things have been done is not the way that things need to be done in the future and so you know to your to your point about targeting businesses i think it really comes down to individuals to to get a true sense of what a business is really about not what it says it's about um, uh, and to connect into those businesses that you know perhaps are seeing the opportunity and Go and, go and sell them your story. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think if, if you've got, you know, if you've got the, the the knowledge, you can actually speak to people in the industry, find out, you know, what individual companies are doing and how they're reacting to an economic downturn. You could, you can find the gems, the ones that are going to win. And you want to, you want to, yeah, you definitely want to get in front of the, the winning companies and um, articulate what value you might bring. I, I'm always keen to people to talk about, their, their career narrative in a compelling way, as you described, but also their personal value proposition. What, what do they actually bring to the table, and how mm. they can how they can underline, um, you know, through the achievements they've had in in their prior career, the sorts of things that they could bring to the table with a, a new employer. So that's that's really important, and I, and, I, and I do think companies are open to that, um, and I think it's a more effective strategy, fun, frankly, than than applying to to jobs online. I don't know if you you feel the same way. Yeah, I do. I, I think. I, I think. Yeah, in that situation, it is incumbent on the individual to, to properly understand um, the impact that that, that they bring. Mm. Uh, and I don't just mean that from a, a skills or experience basis. I mean 
a true understanding of, uh, of, of their personality, a true understanding of uh, the impact that they're able to have, um, and actually to use that to say, well, actually, can I see how that can be applied inside this particular organisation I'm, I'm looking for? Is this an organisation that values people for the impact and the influence that they bring? Um, and I, I think you know, people, even in a, a distressed market like this, can afford to be more uh, choosy, actually, about making sure that they, they properly understand what it is that an organisation is looking for from them and that they test the authenticity of both the platform that's being offered um, and the culture um, that, mm. that, that um, they're, they're moving into. And there is a big difference, as we know, between the stated values of an organisation and the true culture. Mm. And I think you know, the, the hires uh, and the relationships between um, organisations and, and, and people that join them are always stronger when there is that true understanding of, of really what the culture is all about. Um, and not just what it says over the door and the, the you know the obligatory list of four values that are stuck up on the wall somewhere. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that as well. You've got to have if as a as a candidate, I think you've got to have as well as the ability to answer the interviewer's questions uh, intelligently. You need to have done your research before you get there, clearly. But you also need to have really, really, really good questions to ask, particularly around things that that, that you know the more complex things like culture. Um, and asking, you know, the the guy that it, or, or girl that's interviewing you, why they joined and what their experience is in a, in an intelligent way, probably gets you more to the heart of how the company really works than yeah, like I say, looking at the website about the, uh, you know, integrity, honesty, whatever else uh, uh, sort of uh, platitudes are on there. There, are always, there is always a different story if you can uh, if you can either ask the right questions to get at that story. Really, the point you make is is so true. Um, I, I think um, I, I always have felt more confident about candidates when I've been hiring people and they've really come at you mm. and said, all right, so this is what you say. You know, perhaps can you, you know, can you give me examples where you've actually made business decisions within that context? Uh, and then you know that people are actually trying to get behind, is this just a slogan? A set of words that you throw out there or is this actually a belief that sits with inside the organization and as, as we know you know beliefs are, are really what drive culture inside the organization and you know indeed you've got to you've got to understand the person that's hiring hiring you the hiring manager you know that you're going to be working for someone that's 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 the case with most people uh they get hired unless you're the chairman Matt, and then you 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 you're you're, uh, you're a lawyer to me you turn to yourself i'm sure uh everybody's working for somebody you've got to have that relationship with that individual you've got to do actually you know i always think that the interview is a, is a bit of a stress test of how that relationship is going to work and you know you've got to you know, you can't be subservient. You've got to you've got to stand up as, as an equal, but you've also got to to realise that that person is looking for you to have their back and to give them value to make them look better. And how can you demonstrate that in those in those questions and in that uh, in that conversation is is key. Yeah, it is. And I think um, you know you, you see people who who perhaps come into that environment and 
you know, they've, they've probably been to presentation skills classes and they look to mirror what you're doing and they've looked to pick up on your language and you can spot that stuff a mile off. So I, I think, you know, making sure that uh, you're, you're true to, to who you are uh, is is absolutely critical and 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 don't be afraid to uh, you know people have always impressed me are people who are prepared to be controversial uh, in a discussion uh, and for who an interview is actually not an interview an interview is just a discussion uh, and a sharing of ideas and a sharing of points of view and beliefs uh, and those discussions are just so much more productive and I think in that you start to to see uh, how a relationship might work. Uh, mm. over yeah, over uh, a working relationship yeah yeah i think you've you've got to be brave haven't you uh once you get your your opportunity to impress you've got to take it and um you know it's it's not always it's not particularly impressive to be uh to be uh, you know a shrinking violet in these situations and not say what you actually think um you know part of what a, an interview is trying to do is to get at your character understand who you are and if you don't display that I think that is fairly obvious, isn't it? If, if people don't display their real character, it, it just becomes, you know, this is a charade. It's very easy to, to see through that as, a, as an interviewer. Um, you, you've got to be genuine. I agree with that completely. Um, you've obviously interviewed a lot of people. Um, what, what, what sort of questions do you tend to pose, Matt? Is, have you got any particular sort of killer questions that you like to ask? When we originally set up the consulting team in ECRS, we, we used to... Um, we used to have quite a defined process around it. We had a sort of fit interview at the start and we always like to throw complete curveballs at people um, uh, in, in the first instance. Mm. Um, and so that might be, you know, how, uh, can you tell me how many ping pong balls you think you can fit inside a 747? Or, you know, could you calculate for me the, uh, the, the, the revenue, the annual revenue of a petrol filling station. Um, what we're trying to do is actually just throw people into an environment where they were you know, forced to be um, compelling. Because uh, you know, between you and I, I don't know how many ping pong balls you can fit in a 747. <laughs> but actually, um, you're looking for a thought process. You're looking for how people kind of deal with that sort of situation. Now, that was way back when and, and you know, perhaps was a, a bit unsettling for people. But... Um, now, in in sort of senior hires, that, that would probably less uh, less applicable. Um, I always you know, I do like to ask people, you know, what? Tell me your story. What is your story? Um, and some some people will look at you and sort of say, "Well, do you want me to step you through my CV?" And I say, "No, just tell me your story." And what I'm looking for is what what motivates you, what inspires you, what's got you to where you are. Why do you come and do the things that you do? Where's where's the passion um, uh, for you? Um, I, I've always been a big believer in people having impact and uh, an influence. Uh, I like to understand where people feel that they've had the biggest impact, either in their personal life or in their career. Um, you know where where, where they've felt that they've been at their best and to understand the environment that, that sits around that, because I think that tells you much, much more than, you know, necessarily um, the achievements that people have written down on a, on a CV or that they're perceived to, to have delivered it. it you know, so for me, it's all about what getting behind what makes people tick and mm. why they do the things that they do. Yeah. And it's amazing. I, I always ask a very similar question, you know, 
I'm interested in people's career narratives, partly because as a recruiter, if, if they can't communicate that to me in a compelling and effective way, that's a big red flag to me. You know, it, it's it's having, you know, you're the only one who can start, tell your own story. Uh, and if you can't make that uh, interesting and, uh, you know, articulate that in a, in a, in a compelling way, I, I'm, I'm worried straight away. Um, so that tends to be my opening gambit to find out um, if you let somebody have a free a free forum, you find out a lot more than when you ask them a narrow question, and they've got a a, a clever answer. You know, you really you, you're giving somebody a lot of rope, and some people hang themselves with it, and other people do really really well. So, no, I like that one as well. Uh, look, Matt, I really appreciate that. I think some some great insights there into uh, you know how how um, you know how jobs are really uh, created, and and how people really can actually approach businesses themselves if they if they have the the, the knowledge and the passion to do so um, and, and equally how they ought to perform an interview. So I really, really appreciate that. Thank you very much, Matt, for your time. Absolute pleasure. All the best. All the best. Take care. So there we have it. One of the things that came out of the conversation with Matt Benyon there for me was that if you can get your passion across, if you can use your passion within your career narrative, within your career story and articulate that in a compelling way to a new potential employer, that's the that's a separator. That's one of the things that's really going to impress them and, and get them to believe in you. I think that is a, a very well-made point. The other nugget I took from the conversation with Matt is that not all businesses are reacting the same to this economic downturn. There will be winners and losers. Uh, don't presume that your entire industry is... Um, you know, going going to the to the wolves. Uh, there may well be some innovators out there that are actually booking the trend and hiring, and it's those guys that you need to find. So, do do the research. Speak to your peers. Speak to your network. Try to find the right opportunity where you can bring your compelling career story to bear. If you haven't already, please go to my site www.careermovesecrets.com and take the job search masterclass because that will give you some real insight into how recruitment really and if you want to learn how to make direct approaches to companies that really work consider buying my premium uh, career move secrets course which is available on the same website and if you enjoyed this podcast perhaps you would consider subscribing because there will be more career move secrets podcasts coming very soon (laughs) 